Good morning. So he's saying uh, this morning, I am desperate for you. Are we, are we desperate for God? Do you feel that? I think sometimes we don't feel that. But we're also saying, this is uh, my daily bread. And I think we're talking about, in fact, I know we're talking about uh, God's Word. And it's, and it's as we're desperate for Him that we can turn to His Word, and He meets us there. If you would turn in your Bibles, His Word, to Acts chapter 2. We'll be there for a little bit, and then we'll flip over to 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 this morning. But I want to begin just talking about something a little different. As some of us uh, know firsthand... One of the things that Americans struggle with is uh, our weight. Mine has been increasing since my 30s. Before that, I had sort of the opposite problem. As a teenager, because I played football, I tried to gain weight, right? I would eat lots of bananas, chug the raw eggs. You guys, Rocky was big back then. Calorie-filled protein shakes, but nothing worked. I remain that steady, constant, 160, 165. And even in my 20s, when Christina and I got married, she used to say, uh, I, can, I can see your ribs. It's kind of gross, poking out there. she say, you really need to gain some weight. Uh, she doesn't say that anymore, just, just to let you know. So at various times over the past 20 years, I've tried to lose weight. And I've had some success at times. I'm, I'm really good when I'm in some kind of competition, right? I've lost 30 pounds in four months when there was money on the line. However, I've never failed to gain it back. My point is, I have experience in the di- dieting world. A world with all kinds of books and plans and programs designed to help a person lose weight. People are always looking for the new weight loss program, and they, including myself, would prefer the program to be painless. I've often wished, why can't uh, these smart guys, these science guys, invent some kind of pill we could take, and then we could eat whatever we want, gain no weight? Seems simple enough to me. However, in all my dieting experience, you know what I found? The only way to lose weight is to eat less calories than you burn. Uh, Bottom line, any successful diet involves some combination of eating less and exercising more. Now that might seem boring. You might say, I've heard that before. You You might want to hear something new and exciting in the weight loss arena, but eating less and exercising more is apparently always will be the solution to weight loss. Now, you may be thinking, uh, I didn't come to church today so the pastor could comment on my weight, give me some dieting advice, but I share this physical truth about weight loss to illustrate a spiritual truth. You see, one of the other things Americans, uh, as Christians, struggle with, besides weight loss, is spiritual gain, spiritual growth. We struggle with overcoming sin and temptation. We struggle to truly love and truly obey God. We struggle in our relationship with God. We struggle to experience intimacy with God. We struggle to even be sometimes desperate for God. God often feels distant to us. When people talk about the joy they have in the Lord, we, we sometimes don't get it. But we want to get it. Most of us are not satisfied with a shallow status quo relationship with God. We hunger for more, for a deeper, more intimate connection with God. We long to experience His presence in our lives. We long to experience His transforming power. And sometimes we, like those who want to lose weight painlessly, go in search of uh, the magic pill, some new teaching or or plan, or program that will help us to grow spiritually. Or, and, and this is what I believe many of us evangelicals are, are looking for. We know there isn't a magic pill. But what we want is, we want God to just take away our sinful desires. 
We want God to change our emotions and change our desires. We want God to transform us into spiritual people. And He will. And He does. But we want it all. And we want it now. I think that's a Queen song or something, but... We, want, we, we seem to want God to just magically cause us to grow spiritually. Like I go to bed at night uh, struggling with pride or anger or worry or lust or fear. And as I sleep, God transforms my heart. When I wake up, I become a humble, loving, content, faith-filled, pure-minded individual. But that's not how God has chosen to work in our lives. In all my experience as a Christian for the past 40 years plus, you know what I've found? And you know what God's Word teaches us? And this won't be new to anyone who's been a Christian for very long. If you've gone to this church for more than a few months, then you've heard this before. Just like the only way to lose weight is through eating less and exercising more, the only way to gain spiritually is through God's Word and prayer. God uses these what we call spiritual disciplines to enable us to grow in relationship with Him through reading and studying and meditating on, memorizing, and don't forget, applying His Word, and through verbalizing our praises, our needs, our thanksgiving, our worship, our requests, through speaking and then listening to God in prayer, God works in our hearts over time to grow us into a spiritual, into righteous people. So these two spiritual disciplines, Bible study and prayer, are at the very heart of our uh, spiritual development as Christians. Now let me say this quickly. There are other things that, that help us grow spiritually as well. I'm not saying uh, join a monastery Stay in your room, read the Word and pray, and that's all you do. God has given us other things as well. Fellowship with other believers. Serving. Serving others. Sharing your faith. Fasting and others. But these other spiritual disciplines are only effective if we are first, if if they're founded on spending time in God's Word and prayer. Why is that? Well, Well, let's take fellowship for example. Spending time with one another in the body of Christ would be totally ineffective in helping us grow spiritually if we were not also engaged in Bible study and prayer. Think about it. Suppose a group of people get together for fellowship, quote-unquote, but nobody's been spending time in God's Word, nobody's been in prayer. What would that fellowship look like? It'll look like a group of people getting together, eating and chatting about whatever, about movies, about the latest news, about whatever. There'll be no spiritual development because no one will have anything spiritual to offer. You see, it's through studying the Word of God, it's through prayer and relationship with God that we're encouraged and that we're empowered and that we're enabled to fellowship. And the same thing is true of fasting or serving or or whatever. If you fast without prayer, without God's Word, then you're just dieting. Everything must be preceded by God's Word and prayer. If it's going to have a positive impact in your spiritual growth. If you remember, this was illustrated for us last week. When Tom asked our missionaries who were visiting, Al and Lynn Stahl, he asked them, what do you do to maintain your intimacy with God? What did they say? They spend time in His Word in His presence, in prayer. And they added that out of that time with God, they were then able to do their ministry, a difficult ministry of sharing the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ with Muslim people. So if you're struggling with sin, with fear, with apathy, with joylessness, if you feel your spiritual growth has stopped or it's even going backwards, if you feel distant from God, if your relationship with Him has grown cold or, or dull, if you're hard-pressed to feel any kind of love for God, if you're hard-pressed to share that love with others, then as your pastor, I only have one or, or two basic pieces of advice, encouragement for you. Spend more time in the Word of God first, and second, spend more time in prayer. 
Spend more time doing these things in your personal life and spend more time engaging with other believers, the church, in these activities. Study God's Word together. Pray together. These two activities are at the heart of any real personal or corporate spiritual growth. And so over the next two weeks, we'll be exploring Bible study and prayer. And the, the, Bible, the Bible studying church this week and the praying church next week. And I, I want you to notice that both are core values of Bridges Church. Reliance on the Word of God. is our if you, the, the core values are up here now, so you can see them. Unless you are sitting back there, then we need to blow them up. But that's what they say. The second core value is reliance on the Word of God. The fourth core value is dependence on prayer. So today... Let's look what it means to be the, a Bible-studying church. What it means to rely on the Word of God. Now, it may not be clear at first, but that's what uh, one of the things the early church was doing. We find this in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Last week we focused on the early church's devotion to to breaking of bread. Next week we'll focus on their devotion to prayer. And in two weeks, Tom is going to lead us in a message on devotion to fellowship. But today we focus on their devotion to the apostles' teaching, which, as we'll see for us, corresponds to our devotion to the Word of God. The church must be devoted to God's Word. Remember we talked about devotion last week as we spoke about being devoted to breaking of bread. When you're devoted to something, it remains in your life no matter what. The apostles' teaching was a priority in the life of the early church. They didn't let other things crowd it out. They made sacrifice in other areas so they would, could learn from the apostles. They would go to where the apostles were. They would hear what the apostles had to say. They were devoted to learning from the men who had been discipled, who had spent three and a half years with Jesus Christ himself. You can picture a crowd of believers. Remember, how many were they now from last week? 3,120 about. There's, so these apostles were maybe even spread kind of thin, and in that many people, they were devoted. You can picture a crowd of believers gathered around Peter and John, James and others, soaking in the teaching that these men had received from Jesus. Now notice the next verse. Verse 43 also mentions the apostles. It says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So the apostles, and the apostles are these uh, uh, 11 guys now, Judas is gone, and these 11 guys that had spent time with Christ. I think they haven't got Matthias yet, and some say Paul, Paul's coming later also as an apostle. But, so it's these 11 guys at this point. And they're performing wonders and signs. Now let me ask you this. What do you think the purpose of their signs and wonders was? To gather a crowd, to hear the gospel, possibly. To show compassion on people with miracles of of healing and other things, certainly. But I think there's more. Might the signs and wonders have to do something, have something to do with their teaching? Verse 22 I mean, 42, talking about their teaching. Verse 43, the signs and wonders. Are they related? I think so. Look back at what Peter said about Jesus in his sermon. So right before this, right before this description of the church, uh, the apostle Peter is given this sermon. And after the sermon, that's when 3,000 people come to the Lord. And so just prior to this, uh, to this description, in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Peter says... Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of, Nazar- Je- ah. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Peter says that God attested to Jesus, to Jesus with mighty works and wonders and signs. God, through the signs and wonders, was putting his seal of approval upon Jesus. He was letting the world know that Jesus Christ is legit. 
Jesus is from God. Jesus is speaking for God. But Jesus had left physically. And now the apostles are the ones performing the signs and the wonders. And the same thing is true of them. Not that they're Jesus, but that God is now attesting to them. He's putting His seal of approval on them and their teaching. God is saying that what they're teaching is from Me. What the apostles are teaching you is My Word. Now, we don't, we don't normally see the same kind of signs and wonders. I'm not saying we don't see miraculous things, but... Signs and wonders the blind can now see that were performed by Jesus and the apostles in our day. That's not to say we can't or we won't, but currently it doesn't seem that God is attesting to anyone through signs and wonders. But we do have the attested to teachings of the apostles. We do have the teaching that God validated through signs and wonders. Those teachings are contained in our Bibles. Specifically, the apostles' teachings in the New Testament, but it's all the Word of God. These are teachings that the Holy Spirit inspired and were recorded by the apostles and a few others who worked with the apostles. These are the teachings that were written down for us. These are the teachings that the early church was devoted to, would not miss out on. I read this story about a man in Kansas City who was severely injured in an explosion. His face was badly disfigured, and he lost his eyesight as well as both of his hands. He was just a a new Christian, and one of the greatest disappointments for him is he could no longer read the Bible. Then he heard about a lady in England who read Braille with her lips. Hoping to do the same, he sent for some books of the Bible in Braille. However, He sadly discovered that the nerve endings of his lips had been destroyed in the explosion. So he couldn't read with his lips. But one day, as he was trying this out, as he he brought one of the Braille pages to his lips, his, his tongue happened to touch a few of the raised characters, and he could feel them. Like a flash, he thought, I can read the Bible using my tongue. And at the time the story was written, the man had read through the entire Bible four times. Now, that's clearly devotion to at least reading uh, the Word of God. So what about us with our eyesight intact and with how many versions of the Bible on our phones, how much time do we spend reading the Word of God? Do we rise early in the morning that we might personally read the Bible before our day begins? Do we listen intently and seek to apply the Word that's preached on Sunday morning or taught in our small groups? Do we look for every opportunity to learn more from the Word of God? Do we sacrifice other things? TV, movies, games, other books, internet, social media, hobbies? Do we sacrifice these and other things in order that we might read our Bibles? Or are we satisfied to pick up a little here and a little there? Are we satisfied to come just on Sunday morning and if we're not too tired from Saturday night, listen for a thing or two we can apply, we can remember in our week? Or are we like the early church, devoted to the Word of God? Because it's through His Word that God reveals Himself, that God reveals His purposes to us. I don't know what God wants me to do. Go to His Word. Let me say this. It's to the extent that we're devoted to knowing and applying the Word of God. Never forget, it's not just about reading. It's about obeying, about doing. To the extent that we we know and apply the Word of God, to that extent, we will grow as individuals and as a church, spiritually. As we submit to the Holy Spirit who uses the Word of God to transform our lives, we grow spiritually. We overcome sin. We're transformed into more loving and more generous and kind people. And as we share and apply His Word and reach out in our, in our communities, in our world, the life-transforming power of God's Word that, that He's implanted in our hearts will overflow into the lives of others around us. And I believe that's when we'll grow numerically. The church, 
God will add to our numbers those who are being saved as we spend time in His Word and then as we take His Word to the world. But for that to happen, we must be devoted to the Word of God. And to be devoted to God's Word, I believe we must value God's Word. That's our second point. The church must value God's Word. Think about that idea of value. Some of you know that I... I sometimes go to uh, swap meets and garage sales looking for uh, valuables, for treasures. Treasures are things for me, most of the time, that I can buy cheaply and then turn around and sell and make some extra cash. That's how I put my kids through college, was through this. And I've told this story before, but I think it makes the point. During one of my trips to the, to the swap meet, I think it was a Van Buren swap meet, I found a book at the bottom of a box of stuff. It was a book by Stephen King called uh, The Gunslinger. It looked kind of interesting, so I, I, I had never read it or anything. So I asked how much, and the guy said, uh, 25 cents. I thought that was a little high, but, but I went ahead and paid him anyway. Later, when I went home, I I looked at the book more closely and saw that it was a first edition and was in okay shape. But since it it wasn't very old, it was published in 1982, I didn't think much of it until I looked it up on eBay. Similar books were selling for between $400 and $800, depending on their condition. I sold uh, that book for $600. When I was holding the book at the swap meet, I didn't know its true value. If the guy would have asked me more than a dollar or two, I probably would have said no thanks and, and moved on. I would have missed out on the treasure because I didn't know its true value. Now I know its true value. And I tell you, every time I go to swap meets and stuff, I'm looking for that book again. Can I? In fact, interestingly, like a week later, I was at the same swap meet and found another copy of the book, only a second edition. It only sold for, I had to pay a dollar or something for it, and it only sold for $250. So... So once you know something's value, then you're seeking it, right? David wrote in Psalm 19.10 about the words of God, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. David understood what we need to understand and embrace is the value of the Word of God. He knew it was a treasure. So what about us? We say, at least as a church, in our core values, we say we rely on the Word of God. We value God's Word, but do we? Have you ever thought about the incredible reality of what your Bible actually is. Paul writes of its great value in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. If you want to turn there in your, in your Bibles that you value, I'll have the verses up here, but you can turn there if you want to take notes in, in, in the Bible. He begins by saying, All Scripture is breathed out by God. We call the Bible the Word of God, or God's Word, But do we think about what that means? Scripture was breathed out, inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. That word uh, breathe is even related to the word spirit. They're both from the word breath. We have in our possession, in our language, the very words of God. We have in our possession the truths that the the creator of the universe, that your creator has chosen to reveal to you. God has chosen in His infinite wisdom to communicate with His people primarily through the written Word. And God has chosen to give us today. I mean, we are are, uh, way far above most people throughout history. Throughout history, many people have not had the the Bible in their own language. They haven't had their own personal copy. Uh, Just to know, it's it's in recent history that we had uh, 20 copies on our cell phones that we could look at different versions. That's a new development. Martin Luther did not have that. We're a blessed people because we have the Word of God. God has chosen to give us this great gift. 
written by human authors, yet inspired by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. It's not the words of men, but the the Word, the words of God. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Scripture is not only from God, but it is for us. It's given by God to us. It is good. It is profitable. It is valuable to us. How? It is profitable for teaching, Paul says. The Word of God teaches us everything we need to know for life and godliness. How should I live? What should I do? God's Word provides us, not with a roadmap like take this job, don't take this job, marry this woman, don't marry this woman, but with principles of leading your life so that you know, oh, I should marry this woman because she correlates to these principles in God's Word. The Word teaches us. The Word of God teaches us how to live in relationship with God, how to live in relationship with others. It's the basis of all education. It used to be the basis of our education in schools in the United States of America. And it's profitable. It's profitable for reproof, he goes on to say, or rebuking. When we're doing uh, wrong, when we're involved in sin, it's the Word of God that rebukes us. Without the Word of God, we wouldn't know. Wrong from right in many cases. Have you ever been reading the Bible or listening to a Bible-based sermon and you feel that God is speaking directly to you? God is saying, I see what you're doing. I love you, but I need you to knock it off. Or I need you to do this instead of that. That's profitable reproof. And the word is profitable also for correction. The word not only rebukes us as knock it off when we're doing wrong, but it corrects us as well. It not only tells us when we're wrong, it tells us what is right. Love your neighbor as yourself. Rejoice always. Fear not. The Bible gives us direction and wisdom for this life. And finally, it's profitable uh, for training in righteousness. Picture the athlete in training. Sacrificing all kinds of other things so he can compete in the sport of his, that he's an athlete in. And for us, it's, it's through knowing and applying and spending time in God's words that our lives will be trained in the right way to live. In righteousness, we are instructed in right living. We're instructed even in how to be, it's, it's not just a list of, it's not a to-do list, by the way. It's not a list of, if you do this and do this and do this, you'll be okay. It's not a, it's not a list. It's, it's a li- it's, it also instructs us on how to be empowered to live the Christian life. And the power comes from Christ who dwells in us. And the Bible teaches us that. Without it, we wouldn't know. And so what's the purpose of all this? This training in righteousness, this correction rebuking this teaching that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The athlete is equipped to compete. God's word completes us. It molds us. It empowers us to be more like Jesus Christ, that we might be equipped for every good work, the good works that God has prepared for us. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for all the works that God has prepared for us in Christ Jesus. Do you see how valuable the Word of God is? Whatever work you try to do outside, it's the Word that prepares you for the work. Whatever work you're trying to do, whatever good work you're trying to do outside of the direction of God's Word, it's worthless. Now, I'm not overstating it when I say that that this is not only the Bible, the God's Word is not only the most valuable book ever written, but it is in fact, of infinite value. Because it contains in its pages, we find the words of an infinite God. The wisdom of an infinite God. The, the, what God, the infinite God, is, has chose to communicate to you and to I. There is no question of its actual value. Far greater than gold. The question is, do we actually value it? Do we know in our heads and show by our actions that we understand the true value of the Word of God? 
It's easy enough to say, and I'm speaking to myself here just so you know, that we value the Word of God. The question is, do our decisions, does our life reflect what we say? If someone examined our lives, would they see that, oh, that, they love the Word? Ask yourself this, if someone were to follow you around for a week, what would they say you value? One of the ways we know what we value, and others know that we value something, is that we spend time on it. We spend time in it. We spend time with it. Our spouse, our kids, our friends know we value them when we take time to be with them. You have employees. You know you, they value their job when they show up to work and, that they, and they work hard. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. We show we value God. We show you we value His Word by the time we spend with Him in His Word. Working hard, working hard, let me say, maybe you've read the Bible and you say, I just don't get this. I don't understand this. Well, uh, and you put it down. Well, that's just crazy. Work hard. Do some more personal stuff. God's given you, you know, if you're part of this church or any church, God's given you people that can help you understand it. God, you, you have so many resources. Work hard to understand and apply it in your life. Is that what you're doing? That's what you would do if you valued it. Do we read it? Do we study it? Do we memorize it? Do we meditate on it? And do we obey it? Do we apply it to our lives? Are, are our lives a reflection of the Word of God that we might that we claim to, to value highly? So that's my challenge to us this morning. To devote ourselves to the infinitely valuable Word of God. And it's, you know, it's all I got. It's all I have for you. But as I thought and I prayed about it, how can I motivate us, myself, as well? The thing that came uh, to me was our need for examples, uh, for pictures. I believe we're helped to see the value of God's Word by seeing or hearing how it's impacted people's actual lives in our day, in our age. Hearing testimonies about how God has used His Word in the lives of others. That's our third and our final point. The church must testify about God's Word. We have to share with one another how God's Word has impacted our lives. And so I've asked two people to share with us a testimony about the Word of God. How God's Word has taught them or rebuked them or corrected them or trained them in righteousness. How God's Word has equipped them for every good work. Put simply, how God's Word has been used in their life to transform them. So I'd like to invite Gloria Cates first, and then Sean Cadd's going to come after her to share with us this morning. And, and once they're finished, Tom Allen is going to come and, and, and conclude us. So, Gloria... Is that good right there? Can you hear me? I cannot tell you how I want to throw up right now. I'm very nervous. If I could sit with you in my home, it would be so much better. But my pastor asks and I obey. I desire so much to glorify God, and I pray that this will be good for you. I had picked two scriptures. I don't know if they're in the notes or not, but one is Psalms 119, verse 105, and it is, your word is a I'm going to forget it. I have it written down. Your word is a lamp for my feet. It is a light for my path. That is God's word. If we do not have it, 
in front of us, if we do not study it, if we do not meditate on it, we will walk in darkness. I am saved. I will be with him forever in heaven. But I want to walk in a victorious way. I want to have an abundant life. I want to be of to do good to others, to bring glory to God, and be useful in the lives. God, use me in, in the lives of others that you have brought in my path. And the other scripture is from Ephesians, the armor. It is a daily battle we are in until the day we meet Jesus. That's why heaven is going to be so wonderful. We must put all on the full armor of God. And I just wanted to focus on, um, because this is what we're talking about, is the sword of the Spirit. It is the word of God. Oh, my gosh, the word of God, the sword that we have to do battle with. I don't know about you, but I do battle every day. My small group, huh, Chuck, battle every day, don't we? We share it with one another. It's a good place to do that. So I just want to tell you quickly, for a year and a half, there has been some hard times in my workplace. I have worked somewhere for 19 and a half years. In the last year and a half, I have, it's, it's been a very difficult workplace. And um, I have, was tempted to anger and hate and resentment. I have, uh, we called people to help resolve the situation. It was not being resolved. Uh, it seemed the only uh, solution we had was for me to retire or to uh, change uh, uh, places of where I worked, a transfer to another school. The Lord had something else in mind. The Lord's solution was not for me to transfer, was not for me to retire. The Lord's solution is he needed to transform my thinking. He needed to change my behavior. And so it just so happened that in the Bible study that I go to, Bible Study Fellowship, we were studying the book of um, uh, Romans. And here at work, I mean, at um, church, we're studying Romans also. And so I just want to tell you some of the things that the Lord has has taught me. He reminded me in chapter 3 of Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, I know I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But he made me realize, don't you see the people you're working with? They too have fallen short of the glory of God. And honestly, I feel for the first time I started to have compassion for these people that I feel were doing me harm. And so... There was compassion. And then he he reminded me, Jesus, he came. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And Jesus, on the cross, as he was being crucified, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's like the Lord opened up my eyes, and I could look and think, hey, they, they don't know what they're doing. They can't know what they're doing. So I asked the Lord to help me forgive and, and, and I did. It wasn't fake. It was real. It was real in my heart. As we continue to study in Romans, the Lord started to show me um, things like um, um, his grace. Oh, my gosh, all that I had been given, his grace, and all that comes with it. I mean, I am rich. I am rich. And I started to have joy. And no matter what happened in that day or no matter how I was treated, it didn't affect the joy. It just, it, it just kept in front of me. I mean, I just tell you that I had my word out on my break and my lunch. I needed it. I needed to be reminded. So he gave me joy. And because my time went off, I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to tell you, um, he reminded me of another truth. I was um, dead to the power of sin. I did not have to walk in defeat. In fact, at work, he enabled me and empowered me to have joy no matter what. Um, There were other people that were observing what was happening. They would come to me. They remember me very angry, very frustrated, but not now. Now it was, perhaps we need to look at it a different way. Perhaps, you know, da-da-da. Not making excuses for their people, but just having more of a compassion He reminded me that he is sovereign. He has allowed this. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me probably the hardest year and a half at work and still some hard things happening in my life. Thank you because it forced me to look at myself. It forced me to really examine scripture and desire to be holy and righteous. And he 
help me see he's doing it. He transformed a very hard situation to a situation now that I can go to work. A situation that I see some changes. Thank you, God. Is it perfect? No, but life is not perfect. He um, gave me the desire of my heart for 40 years. Let me glorify you in all things. Let me do good. Use me while I'm here on earth. God's word, never leave home without it. God bless you. That's my cue, huh? <laughs> okay. Um, this never happens when you're preaching. <laughs> All the phones going on. <laughs> well, I don't hear it. I must be so intent on your words. Anyway, <laughs> when, when, when Cliff um, called and asked to, you know, if I'd be willing to uh, share, I jokingly said... Um, so we would get like 30 minutes or something like that? He said, no, just a few minutes. Um, and, I could, and I could make it really short by just saying this right here. But I'll, I'll put some, uh, some context to it. Um, please read it while I'm talking so you will catch up. But I grew up in the church, and I have believed the gospel of Jesus Christ for as long as I can remember. And I don't say this to give myself special credibility or to imply that my number of years of church going should, uh, you know, boost what I have to say. In fact, it's uh, quite the contrary because what I came to realize only after many, many years is something that I would have done well to have realized much earlier. I was taught and I accepted, I mean, I grew up in a Bible-believing church, that the Bible is the Word of God. I heard all the stories. I knew all the main characters. I understood the history. I could comprehend the divisions and the literary forms of the Bible. I knew how to use outside resources to locate any scripture that I wanted to for any given situation within reason. However, that doesn't mean that I had actually taken any time to read the Bible. And sadly, the, my Bible sat between Sundays, basically unopened and undisturbed. And that was maybe for the majority of my life. But that, and, that, and that doesn't make sense because, as Cliff pointed out in the sermon, um, the Bible is an incredibly valuable thing if it is what we believe it to be. It's the very oracles of God, and there it sat in my house, and I didn't take time to actually read it. But maybe I'm not alone in that. You see, the problem as I saw it was that I was just too intelligent. Now, seriously, I'm about the smartest person I know. <laughs> and though I may be a little conic in speech, my... Uh, mind is a constant beehive of activity, and I'm thinking all the time, and I thought about God all the time, and I had this assumption, I suppose, that I would, by sheer intellect alone, be able to discern God's character, personality, and his attributes. And because of my, get that, Gloria, they're going to keep calling back. (laughs) And because of my prodigious intellect, I became quite impressed by the God that I had imagined. Now, you might be able to discern a problem with that. And there was one, because I would be confronted with the words of Holy Scripture. And I often found that the Bible said things about God that didn't quite jive with my God of my imagination, the God of my mind. And I believed that he was the one that who, had, who had inspired those words. And as I grew over, the number of those conflicts con- increased. And um, 
because of that increased conflict between my imagined God and the God of the Bible, and my inability to reconcile those differences, it forced upon me a startling realization, and that was that I did not know God. Now, I'm not saying that I didn't love God. I'm not saying that God didn't love me and know me, or that I wasn't saved. I'm just saying that I didn't know the God that I loved. Um, I had made up all sorts of details about him, about his character and attributes, and much was influenced by my experience and my church traditions, but very little was based upon what God had revealed about himself. And not all that I had imagined was wrong either. I did get a few things right about God, but the things that I got wrong were horrible considering the perfection and glory of God. So I began to read the Bible. Not that I hadn't read it before, but I began to seriously read the Bible. I consciously looked for God's revelation of himself in the text of Scripture. I read in context. I read whole books. I read full historical accounts. I read the cross-references. I went to commentaries. I listened to sermons. And I was always diligently trying to understand what the the text was actually saying. And in doing that, I began to encounter someone extraordinary. Um, nowhere in my experience or imagination had I encountered someone of such fullness, glory, awesomeness, power, might, love, mercy, purity, holiness, than the God that I was encountering in the pages of Scripture as he had revealed himself. So, with that newfound uh, encounter of the real God, when our family experienced a heartbreaking tragedy not so long ago, when our eldest son... (laughs) Hayden... I'm getting choked up in a good sense. (laughs) And uh, Trevor's older brother um, died in in an accident that was out of the blue. Because I had come to know the God who loved me (laughs) and whom I loved, I was able to see the lamp shining in the darkness, in that dark place. And my hope remained and I, and grew for the dawning of the day and the rising of the morning star. I knew that the prophecy of Scripture was not from someone's explanation nor imagining, nor produced by the will of some human somewhere. God himself had spoken by the men he claimed he carried along, By the Holy Spirit. And no other word spoken to us in that time did more to lift us up or support us in our time of grief than those words from Scripture that our brothers and sisters shared with us. The promises of God, the victory won by Jesus Christ, the hope that fills me to this day are all written down in the pages of our Bibles. All of my experiences, whether they be of great joy or those of great sadness, can't reveal to me what God has done and will do for me with such clarity and assurance as what is written down in the Word of God. This was written by Peter, and Peter had seen... Christ glorified on the mount. He was at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit had descended upon the church. He was one of those that did the signs and wonders. He had walked down the street and the sick were healed when his shadow passed over them. 
he had experiences that we could only dream of. We'd say, oh, if only I could have been there and seen the miracles and even done some. Then I would know God. But at the end of his life, he points to the prophetic word of God for our confirmation and hope. Because that is where we find Christ. And Christ is the source and object of our faith. But the Bible is our seat of hope. That's how we know what we know. That's how we can know the one in whom we have faith. That's the one that gives us the promises of God, that gives us the hope that we have. And we can go on all day imagining what um, and who God is and yearning for an encounter or experience with him. Or we can simply listen to what he has to say because it's right there. Thanks, Sean, and thanks, Gloria, for your testimony. When we give testimony to how God works in our lives, as Cliff showed us a couple weeks ago about the purpose of the church as a whole being a place where we give glory to God, that's what happens when we testify to God's presence, his work, his power in our lives. That declaration, that proclamation is a way that we give glory to God. And giving glory to God means we magnify him. The fifth grade version is we make God look really big. Um, You made God look really big, Gloria. Sean, you made God look really big. You didn't make yourself look big. You made the Lord look big. So praise be to God uh, for their words, their testimony, What I was hearing uh, that stood out to me was a lot about light, about the Word of God giving light and giving perspective. I heard Gloria talk about being in a dark place in her workplace, and she was stuck. She didn't know how to get out of it, and it was the Word of God that brought a new perspective. Uh, And not surprisingly, much of that new perspective was about herself. The Word of God penetrated. So the Word says it divides uh, 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 the, heart, the, the conviction, divides like joint and marrow, divides joint and marrow, divides the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. And that's what happened with the Word. It brought for Gloria new perspective about things outside, but also about herself. And most fundamentally, the light then that shined into her heart gave her new hope, gave her a transforming experience of God in terms of how she uh, responded to the word and how she loved the people around her and how she chose to behave. Um, Changing our behavior is really hard to do. Most doctors say they can give prescriptions to people about choices they can make that will save their lives. And most of the time, people choose not to follow that, but revert back to their old behavior. And those of us that have experience with dieting, as Cliff said, we know it's really hard to change our behavior. But when the light of God, through his word, shines into our lives, and we have an encounter with the living Lord who tells us what's true and opens up the darkness with light, the power to change and to be transformed and to actually become different kinds of people are there. So thank you for that encouragement, Gloria. An encouragement for all of us who might feel stuck or feel like we're groping in the darkness. Uh, And we need perspective to help us get through the next day. And I heard light in what Sean had to say as well. Uh, Light that in the darkness of sort of 
being familiar about God. He was really imagining God in some ways, and it was uh, a, a moment of shift and change of perspective when he realized he knew a lot about God, but he didn't really know God. Um, ah, I know that. That's a word of conviction for me. Um, and we live in a context where uh, it's really easy to get information about God, but to really know God. I mean, do you ever come across a person that's full of joy, compassion, their character, who they are? You just go like, wow, that person, they know God, right? Where you're just like, they got something I don't got. Um, and what I heard from Sean was just the perspective shift from moving from knowing about God to really knowing God. Uh, I want that. I think that's why we've showed up here today is because we want to know the living God. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and as we go to worship, um, just encourage us to sit with the reality that the Word gives perspective because it shines light. It shines light on ourselves, on our motives. It shines light on where we've decided to place hope, what we've put value in, and it shines light on what's happening outside of us and gives us perspective. It gives us humility as we see the lives of other people in the light of who, what God says. So we have this book, uh, more valuable than a Stephen King novel from uh, the swap meet. Um, and I think the encouragement and exhortation that I'm hearing this morning is uh, have a new perspective and to see my Bible, and to see the Word of God uh, for what it really is. And the encouragement I have is uh, really to, to listen and to hear the Word, that it might change and transform me with the light that the Lord says it is in my life and for all of us. So I encourage you to give thought about what that will mean. I think for me it's, it's about taking more seriously what it means to have a quiet time or devotions uh, and to uh, be earnest about that. I encourage us to do that because uh, when we do that, um, there'll be more, of, uh, more glorias and more shans among us that will be able to come up here and be able to give glory to God by testifying to the power of God to change us. I'd love for us to be a community where we hear more and more testimony about how the Word of God, the light of uh, God's Word, changes us. So pray with me as we come uh, into this last time of uh, worship together. Lord, thank you for your Word um, and for the words of our brothers and sisters that have spoken this morning to us. Um, we thank you that the Word is... Uh, is the light uh, that shines into our hearts and into our world and gives us um, perspective. We want the abundant life that you offer us in your word, Lord, and we want to be able to live effective lives as you've designed for us to live in your image. So help us, God, um, together to take the next steps forward to put your word at the center, more closely at the center of how we live, that it will give shape and form and direction uh, to how we behave, that we might love you and love our neighbor more completely. Amen. Amen. Stand with us. Let's sing this song, It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, it's a song that as we were practicing this morning, uh, Cliff pointed out to us that, that it's just filled with biblical truths. Uh, he, he pointed out that it is only through the Scripture uh, that we can sing these words and, and believe it, that it is well with our soul. I think we just saw that um, testified to, right, uh, by members of our congregation. Um, I, too, have had a, a very trying time at, at work this year. And, and so uh, those of us who are, are Christians at, at my school, we've been sustaining each other by texting each other scripture. Um, I lost my, my grandpa this, this summer. And um, so some relatives back in Mississippi have been sustaining us, right, with, with Scripture. Um, if we don't know the, the story behind the story, it is well with my soul. You know that the writer, uh, he had eight children in his life. Um, four of them were lost at sea, 
and two others he buried as well. Um, and so we see this song as just this rich uh, testifying to the fact that it is only through Scripture that we are sustained. Sing this truth with us. Thank you. 